You're listening to the Safety of Work podcast, episode 12. Today, we're asking the question, is adopting a zero harm policy a good idea for safety? Let's get started. Hey everybody, my name's David Proven and I'm here with Drew Ray and we're from the Safety Science Innovation Lab at Griffith University. Welcome to the Safety of Work podcast. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. The podcast is produced every week and the show notes can be found at safetyofwork.com. In each episode, we ask an important question in relation to the safety of work or the work of safety and we examine the evidence surrounding it. So Drew, what's today's controversial question? So in this episode, we're going to do something a little bit different rather than just present one paper. We're going to present both sides of an ongoing debate in safety science and try to give our listeners some help in how to think about this from a scientific point of view. So we want to give you an idea of what evidence we're looking for and what evidence there is on each side of the debate. And the debate is basically whether adopting a zero harm policy is a good idea. So even before I dive into background, I want to throw up a bit of a disclaimer here that I've never myself worked in an organisation that has an explicit zero harm policy. And I work a few doors down from Sydney Decker, who is one of the authors we're going to talk about, who takes quite an anti-zero harm stance. Personally, I suppose I probably come at this with a bit of a default opposed to zero harm, but mainly for philosophical reasons rather than for practical reasons. David, how about you? Yes, yeah, so Drew, I've worked in organizations that have had a zero harm approach and I've seen some of the downsides of an approach like that but I've also seen some of the positives of, of an approach like that as well so hopefully through both sides of the debate I can provide a few examples of the things that are on both sides of this discussion and I think you know to as a spoiler for the end of it I I, I think you know is a zero harm policy a good idea yes maybe in some circumstances is a zero harm policy a bad a good idea? Well, maybe not in some circumstances too. So this is one that I'm still out there on the fences as not having a definitive answer for myself. Okay, so a bit of clarity to start with. When we talk about zero harm, we're really talking about a lot of different names for similar concepts. So you may have heard, heard of towards zero or beyond zero or target zero, uh, zero harm, zero accident vision, zero accident culture. Pretty much anything that is about safety and has the word zero in it is really what we're talking about here. And it comes from a really early philosophical idea in safety science. People used to think that there was an irreducible minimum number of accidents. So the idea was that work was inherently risky, people are imperfect. So as you put more and more effort into improving safety, you're approaching some sort of asymptote, some unreachable point. But that asymptote isn't at the zero margin of the graph. It's sitting a bit above the graph. It's an invisible line somewhere above zero accidents. In contrast to that, we've got an industrial backlash, which says that that can't be the case because when you look at every individual accident, it's something which is unacceptable and preventable. And now that's almost more of a political position than a philosophical one. It's the idea that we shouldn't accept injuries and fatalities as an inevitable part of work. That's unethical. If we accept them, then we're not putting our best efforts into prevention. So prevention requires a mindset that every accident shouldn't have happened and that we should be doing better. 
And I think, Drew, if we think about, say, road traffic accidents is one of those things where there's a few, I think the Traffic Accident Corporation now here in Victoria is, is approaching zero and, and, and some of this language is making its way into, into that environment as well. And I mean, it's one of those, it's the same situation where is it possible to run a national road network with zero fatalities when currently I think one in 10,000 of the population is killed in a road accident every year? Yes, every individual accident, there's there's ways that we can find that it could have been avoided. But do we think that we can run a national road network and, and never kill anyone? So I don't think that we can have this conversation by ignoring the philosophical philosophical background. So what I'm going to do is talk a little bit about the concept of zero, and then we're going to put it aside and focus on the practicalities. So what really matters for safety isn't actually the number of accidents. Accidents are an outcome that come from the amount of risk. So the way I like to picture it is imagine when you go to work, you're rolling a bunch of dice. And if they come up all ones, then you lose and get hurt. And so when we talk about improving safety, we're reducing the amount of risk. It's like increasing the number of dice you're rolling. At a dangerous workplace, you roll four dice, and there's quite a high chance of them all being ones and you getting hurt. At a super safe workplace, you're rolling 12 dice, and the chance of them all being ones is tiny. It's something like one in two billion. So the only way to be completely safe at this game is not to play at all. And we can sometimes do that. You can eliminate the risk of working at heights by not working at heights. You can eliminate the risk of asbestosis by not using asbestos. But unless you're not going to go to work, you can't eliminate all risk at work. So from a purely mathematical point of view, no workplace ever, ever gets to zero. If you haven't had any accidents for a certain while, all that means is that you've been rolling the dice and no one has admitted getting all ones. Now, that could be because it's safe and the risk is really, really low. It could be that you've just got lucky. It could be that the injuries are being hidden. We don't know. All we know is that somewhere in the background, those dice are rattling. Now, that philosophical problem, the idea that zero accidents is meaningless, is enough to just make some people angry. And I'll happily admit that I'm one of the people who gets irate with the idea of celebrating zero accidents, because it's like being proud of being mathematically illiterate about risk. But let's put that aside, because our question is not, and it's explicitly not, and never is, does zero harm make sense? The question is, is having a zero harm policy a good idea? And that's a different question. You forget about whether the goal itself is meaningful or achievable. Ask yourself, does adopting a zero harm policy make your organization on average safer or less safe? Is it a good policy to have practically? David, what do you think? Is that the right question to ask? Yeah, I think so, Drew. And, and when we say zero accident policy, a number of listeners might be saying, well, it, would, it depends what's in that policy. But there's two sort of ways of interpreting that zero zero harm thing. There's, there's Is zero a target or is zero an aspiration? And the people who think that their zero harm policy is an aspiration say, we know that we will never get there, but it doesn't mean that we shouldn't try. And then there's people who say, yes, we legitimately think it's a target that we can get to and it's zero. So I think we're on the right track. It's somewhere in there is, is whether you're going to get there or not, I think depends on your, I suppose, mathematical literacy to take your comment, Drew. But the idea is, as it stands today, should your organization put in place that as either a target or an aspiration? So we're going to talk about three papers. The first paper is called Zero Accident Vision-Based Strategies in Organizations, Innovative Perspectives. 
The first author of that paper is Professor Gerard Zwetslut. Um, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that quite right. I'm going to be saying it a lot, so I hope I'm close. The second one is called Zero Vision, Enlightenment and New Religion by Professor Sidney Decker. And the third one is UK Construction Safety, a Zero Paradox. Um, and the authors of that one are Dr. Fred Sherat and Professor Andrew or Andy Dainty. Now, this came as a bit of a surprise to me when I first realised it. Those authors basically represent the entire published academic literature on zero harm. If you look up anything about zero harm, chances are one of the authors I've just mentioned is somewhere all over that paper. Broadly speaking, Zwetslut is in favour of zero harm policies. Um, he always calls it zero accident vision because he wants to put his own sort of branding on it, but he's very pro. Decker is opposed to the idea of zero, usually from more of a philosophical point of view, but he talks about it always as a target. And so Zwetslut and Decker are sometimes talking across purposes. Um, Zwetslut is saying it's an aspiration and that's good, and Decker is saying it's a target and that's bad. Chirac doesn't actually take a strong position. Uh, she's written two papers. The first one is fairly pro-zero harm, um, and the second one gives a slightly anti-conclusion. But really the focus is describing and evaluating zero harm as it's understood by those who implement it. So I think we can sort of take Chirac as the middle ground. Yeah, so since we're trying to talk as practically as possible and try to do this topic some justice for our listeners. And I'm sure that probably few of our listeners um, will be satisfied with this podcast. And maybe it's a great one for those who haven't joined in the discussion on LinkedIn to, to dive in and, and, and fire your thoughts at us. But to be as practical as possible, we're not going to cover every argument that's made by, by these authors. We're, we're going to start to look at the evidence and, and what they cite and, and the, the problems and, advan and I suppose advantages that they put forward with their various claims. So like you said, Drew, that Zwetslut says that zero accident vision is a strategy of commitment. And there's another paper that he did where he looked at, a, a, I think, 13 or so companies in Europe, which has signed up to the zero accident vision and, and compared that with the reference population around safety climate and said, yeah, look, if, if you do have a zero accident vision, your organization is going to rate you higher on a safety climate survey that says safety is a priority for management. And that conclusion says that more resources and better decisions are going to flow in that organization because top management have made it, made this zero accident vision commitment and aspiration, and that's going to be good for safety. So it talks about in the context of climate largely when, when it talks about the zero accident vision. And j just like with climate, Zwetslut's fairly agnostic about what it is that happens as a result. So I know some safety climate, safety culture people are almost behavioralists in that they talk about you know, safety culture results in compliant workers. And that's not the claim that Zwetslut's making. He's not saying, you know, promote a zero accident vision and your workers will all fall into line. He's mainly talking about management decisions and saying that when management make this commitment, and are required to undertake activities that describe that commitment and promote that commitment, that the result of that commitment is going to be that they start making decisions in favour of safety. And those decisions can be all sorts of things. They could be stopping dangerous activities. They could be adopting new management styles. They could be introducing automation for a dangerous production line. It doesn't really matter what good safety looks like. It's just that having that vision is going to promote you to go out and spend the time and effort on bringing that good safety into your organization. 
and so I think, Drew, there's there's a couple of problems with this approach from a practical and scientific point of view. So, so practically, by not telling people clearly what the outcomes you're trying to achieve or how you're trying to get there means that it's hard for people to know what you want them to do and, and they're going to make their own decisions in that space. And then from a scientific point of view, if you're not making any claims about what you are going to achieve, then it's very hard to measure and test whether or not you've had the impact that you, you think you're going to have with the zero accident vision. And I think one of the big problems is it's all very well for an academic author like Threats Loot to say that zero is about the commitment. It's not about having a target. But that's not what a lot of companies do. A lot of companies that have got zero harm or target zero emission zero programs, they do set specific targets. And sometimes they've got like a specific timeline. They can tell you where their path is to zero and whether they're meeting that path or not. So, you know, Zwetsluit doesn't believe that zero is achievable. He thinks it's a journey, but that doesn't mean that everyone who does zero shares that same belief. No, and I think some of our own research, Drew, about when you put something into an organisation and it, and it and it potentially gets corrupted through different roles and different interactions in the organization. And this is one of the spaces where I've seen it be really challenging for an organization, even when the when the board and the senior management team have more of an aspirational conversation and never quite expect the organization to turn it into a target. People at lower levels form their own perception and views about what senior management want when they actually make this statement, which is don't have any accidents. And we know all the political and personal kind of ramifications in organizations of being a manager of an area that has an accident means that I think this is where Decker steps in and says that uh, there's no situation where this is a good thing for organizations because of the way that organizations corrupt these messages. So this is where I think when we're evaluating something like zero harm, we need to be really careful about what we're evaluating. Are we evaluating the ideal image of it, that it's a commitment, it's a journey, it's a process? Are we evaluating it after it gets corrupted and it becomes a target? Or you know, are we evaluating something else? Zretzlut would like us to evaluate it, and he says that people who have targets are doing it wrong, so don't count that in your evaluation, only count the ones who are doing it properly. Decker would like us to focus solely on the ones who have it as a target. So this is probably the best place to move on then. So what is the evidence? Zretzlut cites a lot of both uh, academic papers and non-academic sources, and pretty much all of this follows the same pattern. It's a company that has adopted some sort of zero program and then subsequently, usually by their own self-assessment, they've got safer. So we've got lots of instances of companies that can say, look, we were unsafe or we weren't as safe as we wanted to be. We adopted zero harm or brand zero or target zero or zero accident vision. And over the next couple of years, we had fewer injuries or we had fewer fatalities. And so that's the type of evidence is this body of companies that got better. Or we, uh, we did a climate survey and then we went out with um, lots of senior management messaging around zero harm. And then we got increased scores on employees' perceptions of management commitment to safety. Yeah. And for what it's worth, there's this one study that's the one you talked about before, David, where they took a, it was a self-selected group of companies that decided to be part of this study. And that set of companies scored above benchmark on a safety culture survey. So the claim is that compared to a general population, this group of zero harm companies did better. And you know, it's a bit of a dodgy way to do it, but it's a plausible claim that promoting a zero commitment does score higher when people ask, are you committed to safety? 
So we have this problem, Drew, about how to evaluate if zero accident vision works. And, and Switzerland's in that side of the debate that says that a zero accident vision as an aspiration for an organization is going to improve your safety climate and going to improve your safety outcomes. So before we get into Decker's, is there any other conclusions that you want to draw out of this side of the debate? Um, well, I think this is where having people who are strong advocates for their own position leads to a really difficult research landscape. So one of the people who is most interested in having further research into zero is Swetzlut. He's the first one to say we need more research. But because he's such a strong advocate for it, he almost takes the assumption that it works and says we need research that understands how it works. How do these zero companies get so good? And so he's less interested in you know, evaluation research. And he's, he, he gives a lot of the arguments that you and I, David, have given ourselves as to you know, why we should do qualitative research rather than quantitative research. He has quite plausible arguments why we can't do randomised controlled experiments of zero harm policy. But I think we have to keep in mind that if you're not going to do quantitative evaluation research, then the conclusions that you draw can't be quantitative evaluative conclusions. So we, we can't say, you know, we don't want to do comparative experiments, but also claim that this is a policy that works. So Zwetslut's side of the debate is organisations adopting a zero accident vision and, or, or a zero commitment strategy or, or vision is going to improve the safety of their organisations. That's, that's the claim. And so let's, let's go to the other side of the debate. And Sydney Deck is probably the most verbal on this side of the debate. So let's, do you want to give us a sense of what the arguments on the other side are, Drew? Okay, so first thing I want to say is that Deck has got a lot of philosophical objections to zero. Um, he puts it into the context of the Enlightenment and a utopian world, as well as, you know, whether zero is a meaningful thing. But if you sort of set aside that phil philosophical stuff, the practical arguments against zero harm are almost a mirror image of the arguments in favour of zero harm. So Decker is saying that adopting a commitment to zero is going to flow on to a number of side effects, but he's saying that those side effects are going to be harmful rather than good. And whereas Wetzlut is a bit vague about, you, not, not, maybe not vague, maybe agnostic is a better word, about what the positive things are, Decker gives quite a specific list of negative side effects. So the first one is he says that if you adopt zero harm, you're going to have a focus on minor accidents at the expense of major accident risks. Now, this is something that Zwetslu acknowledges, and he responds to this by saying, well, yeah, so that's why you don't commit to preventing all accidents. You commit to preventing all serious accidents. But that doesn't really answer Decker's concern because Decker reckons that no matter how you word it, adopting a zero harm policy is going to result on a focus on minor events, because they're the easiest ones to drive the number down and to make progress towards that zero target. And I think that's one of the one of the areas that I've I've seen happen, Drew, very much is that if you have a zero harm policy or a zero zero accident policy or anything like that, you look at your safety scorecard and the measures that you have and and you look at all those minor incidents and zero means zero across the board. You know, sometimes a zero harm policy gets translated into zero serious incidents, zero minor incidents, zero investigations overdue, zero actions overdue, zero, zero audit non-conformances and zero everything, zero safety training non-compliances. So it gets translated to zero across the scorecard and across the board. And so the focus becomes on trying to make all those numbers um, as close to zero as possible. And we know that major accidents don't appear on that scorecard very often. So they're usually not front of mind. 
The second thing that Decker says is that you're going to have distorted reporting. It, because we're trying to reach this target of zero, there's a lot of incentive to drive the numbers down. Or if the numbers are at zero, there's going to be incentive to artificially keep them at zero. Um, now, Zwetslut's response to this is, of course, that zero is not about targets. But again, that's not really a response to the objection either, because Decker's a bit more sophisticated than just saying, well, having a zero target is going to result in hiding them. He says that you know, in order to have the commitment, then the organisation has to stick to this illusion that zero is possible. You can't admit that it's a lie. You can't admit that it's unattainable. You have to pretend that it is attainable. And having that illusion and preserving the illusion is going to mean that the policy is going to result in hiding or reclassifying events to either reach or make progress towards or preserve the illusion of zero. And that leads on to the third criticism, that having an unrealistic policy means that you're going to have cynicism and disengagement. If management pretends that zero is possible and workers know that zero is not possible, then workers aren't going to take the policy serious. And again, Zwetslut's response is, yeah, but it's not a target, it's a process. And same thing, that response is they're talking past each other. That doesn't really resolve the problem. I should point out here that Decker doesn't talk about these as predictions of side effects. Decker claims that all these three things are already true and already proven. So he says that zero harm does lead to focus on minor accidents. He says it does lead to distorted reporting. And he says it does lead to cynicism and disengagement. And so I'm just going to personally sort of add the word predict here, that these things are areas of disagreement. Decker claims or predicts that these things will happen, and Zwetslut claims or predicts that they won't. And so that's where the evidence-based debate is, is does zero harm lead to the improvements or does it lead to these things? I think adding that word predict is really interesting because, Drew, when I read these lists and when I would think about proven, you know, this is this is an area which is also maybe a gap in the safety science research because I know personally and I know a number of my colleagues and I'm sure many of our listeners would say, yeah, absolutely, I've seen uh, focus on, say, personal safety instead of process safety for minor incidents versus major accident risks. And I've absolutely seen the reclassification of events. And I've personally not been proud of being in an organisation setting targets that has resulted in knowing that down the track that that's what had actually happened as a result of that. And then cynicism, disengagement. I've I've definitely been involved in conversations one-on-one -on -one with shop floor workers, which has showed that some of these policies can um, increase that gap between workers imagined and workers done. So, so I think I'd say, I'd say they're proven in a sense of being proven in my career, but proven in terms of the safety science literature, probably not. So that's why I think this is, this is a debate that can be resolved by evidence. We just don't have the evidence yet. So Zwetslut predicts that if you have a zero accident vision, then that can happen as a commitment strategy without specific targets or timelines, and it results in a range of safety improvements. And that's an evidence-based claim. We can look and find, are there lots of places where people have got the vision, but they don't have targets and timelines? Um, Decker predicts that adopting the vision, it, people are going to start thinking it's an actual measurement target, and it's going to result in some specific safety harms. So we can test that. You know, Are these harms more prevalent in organisations that have zero as a measurable target. And the interesting thing is that both authors agree on the terms of the debate. So as Wetzlut agrees that the things that Decker says are harmful would in fact be harmful, he just doesn't think they're going to happen. And Decker agrees that Zwetslut's improvements are in fact improvements. He just doesn't think they're caused by zero accident vision. He thinks that they're just coincidences.
So, David, do you think we've like fairly laid out the, at least the terms of the debate here? Yeah, look, I think I think we've you've done a good job, Drew, in in laying out both sides of the debate. You know, we've we've said if I summarise it just to check that I, I've I've got it right, Drew. We say Zwetsalut on the pro zero accident vision side says it's an aspiration, it's a commitment strategy, it's not intended to be about targets, it's tended to create an environment within the organisation that prioritises and directs resources and effort towards safety and that's going to be a good thing. And Decker said, well, that's not the way organisations work and if you have a zero harm or a zero accident vision policy, it's going to turn into, into targets and it's going to generate a whole lot of behaviour that is counter to your safety improvement and safety management efforts in the organization. And both of them, I think, both of the strongest advocates on both sides of the debate haven't really individually done any compelling research which uh, supports their own position. No, I, I think that's a fair summary. So let, let's look to the only neutral evidence we have, and that's this Sheraton Dainty paper. Now, quite usefully, this is a statistical study. And what they did is they looked at the top 20 construction contractors in the UK. And they used freedom of information requests in order to get hold of both the fatality and a thing called the specified injury statistics for those 20 contractors. Specified injury is the UK reporting category for what in Australia I think we usually call major or reportable injuries. Uh, so amputations, damage to sight, loss of consciousness, etc. Uh, it's really that set of injuries that you can't possibly hide through your reporting process. Yeah, I think it's hospitalisation for a period of days, electric shock. There's a there's a categorisation. So it's it's good that they didn't go to self-reported organisational first aid injuries, and they intentionally didn't go and get any of the reporting and non-reporting biases into their data set. And then the next thing they did is they used public documents to work out which companies had or didn't have a zero harm or similar policy. And they used the same guidelines that we used at the start of this episode. So they looked for whether they had a branded policy. And if they didn't have a branded policy, they looked for whether they used the word zero a lot. And quite neatly for the study, it worked out that nine out of the 20 companies, so almost half, had a zero policy and 11 out of the 20 didn't. So that lets us do a nice, neat comparison. Which group is going to be the most dangerous? So over the study period, the zero group had four fatalities and the non-zero group had no fatalities. The zero group had 214 specified injuries. The non-zero group had 135 specified injuries. So if you just take raw count, non-zero wins. Um, but then the next thing we need to ask is, okay, are these two groups really comparable? I mean, maybe they're doing different types of work. Maybe they're doing different amounts of work. So they made an assumption. They said that probably the amount of turnover that a construction company has is an indicator of the size and type of projects that they're doing. So let's just as a rough assumption, assume that the amount of turnover indicates whether the groups are comparable or not. Um, and when they turned this into rates, they found that the zero groups still had a higher rate of fatalities or specified injuries per billion dollars worth of turnover. So that's a fairly rough and ready way of working out whether the companies are comparable. And one thing we don't quite know is how this works with the construction supply chain and whether subcontractors and sub-subcontractors, how those get included in these top-level figures. So there are a few sources of possible error here. What we do have is definitely the case that the zero group doesn't have any claim to being safer and a bit of weak evidence that says that the zero group, in fact, was facing slightly higher risk. Um, interestingly, they also did a bit of a brief historical analysis to see when the companies had adopted the zero policy. 
And they found that there was a pattern that companies that have adopted zero tend to have an increase in accidents after adopting the policy compared to beforehand, with the same sorts of caveats that this is fairly weak statistical evidence. But nevertheless, it's, it's fascinating. We've talked about the weaknesses of using injury rates and, and this sort of a sample, but it's still, it's still fascinating data to raise a whole heap of questions, particularly around what happens in the first six months after an organisation makes this commitment. If this weak evidence of an increase in accidents, you know, you just really want to be inside all these organisations and understanding what's actually happening and how that vision or policy is actually being translated in the minds of all the individuals within that organisation. Yeah, so, so Sheridan Dainty's step fairly carefully around their own data. I think the sort of most strongly worded thing they say is that when you make a zero harm policy, it makes a dramatic change to the branding of your safety program. And in comparison to that big change, any change to actual safety is insignificant at best and slightly negative at worst. Yeah, that idea of branding, Drew, I think we we spoke about this in in the model in the paper that gave rise to the name of this podcast, The Safety of Work, where we talked about social safety as something that organisations do to make themselves feel safe and to make it clear to others their commitment to safety. But if nothing physically actually changes, then the safety risk doesn't actually reduce in the organisation. And that's consistent with what Zwetsloot's claiming. Is he saying that zero harm is supposed to lead to management decisions that make big physical changes to the company? He never claimed that there's just going to be this subtle influence that your branded program is going to suddenly make your workers behave better. He's claiming that management commitment leads to management decisions. It's just that the evidence so far seems to show that actually it's more about the other, that these are big branded programs and that they don't lead to management making big physical changes. Yeah, so they typically are big branded programs. So Drew, should we move on to practical takeaways now? Yep, let's do that. So I want to talk about three areas in practical takeaways. Um, I want to talk about targets. I want to talk about expectations and I want to talk about messaging. And there's a bit of overlap between expectations and messaging. So before we say this, should you adopt a zero harm policy or should you not adopt a zero harm policy? If you don't currently have one, I think you might find better ways to talk about your aspiration for safety than to tie your organization up into all of the existing you know, advantages and disadvantages and cynicism around zero harm or zero accident. So my personal opinion, Drew, I'm not sure if you agree, would be if you don't currently have one, it may not be at the present point in time a path to walk down. There might be alternative pathways which are which are better for you in terms of your aspiration around safety. Yeah, I'd agree with that, with the caveat in the other direction that if you do currently have one, getting rid of it isn't a no-brainer decision. It's if you don't have one, I certainly wouldn't recommend adopting one, but that doesn't mean that you're bad if you've got one or that you should just suddenly abandon it if you've got one. Yeah, I think if you've got one at the moment, you've got you've got two options. One would be to to clarify it to your organization as we're going to talk about now. The second would be to rebrand it as something else with again clear clear explanation in your organization about um, about why because if your organization's a little bit cynical about the strategy, then removing it will uh, probably make them even more cynical about management's priorities towards towards safety. So if we talk about targets, Drew, both sides of the argument agree that zero as an actual target for safety events is a nonsense target and should not be set by organizations as a target. So the first thing that we need to talk about is practical takeaways. And we've been talking about this for for decades about our minor injury rates in organizations. If you have targets around those minor injury rates, unrealistic targets or unrealistic improvement expectations around those minor injury rates, 
it's probably not a good thing for safety. So, so my suggestion is if you're in an organisation that has a zero policy, don't fight the policy. Fight for how it's interpreted and used. You stick to that key great idea that focusing on zero is about management commitment to eliminating hazards. It's not about commitment to driving numbers down. And I think that goes to straight into the next point, Drew, about expectations, you know, being very specific about you want from people. From people. So vague, vague commitments like, say, zero harm or our executive team has a zero accident vision can lead to confusing expectations. You know, what does management want me to do? What don't they want me to do? What target do they want me to achieve? Be very clear. So if you, for example, said we have a zero accident vision, but we haven't set it as a target because that's unrealistic. We're going to set our expectations around the positive things we want you to do. We want every department to increase its safety budget. We are going to lower production targets to remove the gold conflict around that. We are going to have a program where all individual sites review their critical risks and invest in higher order engineering and elimination type of control measures and a long, long list of all really specific expectations about what you're going to do to improve safety, then the fact that you've got zero harm or zero accident vision somewhere in the background driving all that activity is probably not going to be much of an issue for you. Yeah, so, so don't focus on that high-level brand. Focus on the list of bullet points below it. Yeah, we have a zero harm policy, therefore we expect you to do this list of things and make sure that that's a good list of things. Yeah, and measure people and, and evaluate people's performance against their, their execution against those list of things and not the outcomes that, that are achieved as a result. So that probably flows pretty seamlessly into our third takeaway, which is don't get hung up on the branding in either direction of the debate. If you don't like the idea of zero harm, then focus on spot fighting the specific problems it causes. You, even if we can't all agree on whether we like or don't like zero harm, Hopefully we can agree that focusing on minor accidents at the expense of major risks is a bad thing, and we can try not to do that. Hopefully we can agree that discouraging reporting of bad news is a bad thing, and we can fight against that. And hopefully we can agree that we need to be careful when we're running safety campaigns that they can accidentally seem a bit silly and cause disengagement, and we can make sure that you know, we're looking for genuine engagement with safety, not nicely branded campaigns that are actually a joke to the workforce. So Drew, you know, we'll, we'll cycle back around on those takeaways in a, in a minute as we conclude, but what, what are the things that you'd like to know from, from our listeners that we haven't talked about? Okay, so something that I'm genuinely curious about is I'd like to understand more about the way we brand safety programs. And in fact, the, the, just the fact that we like to brand safety programs. You know, I worry a lot that genuinely new ideas in safety seem to fall into these same patterns. You know, we used to have zero harm campaigns. We now have safety differently campaigns. And is that a different thing or is it just a different brand? So I'd love to hear what our listeners think or better still have experience when it comes to either being part of a branded safety campaign or running one yourself. You know, what do you think are the advantages and disadvantages of sticking a label and a logo on top of safety? And you, what can we do to research more about how to make that effective or even whether we should or shouldn't be doing that? And I'd be really curious to know an extension of that when we talk about zero harm or zero accident vision. Our listeners who have, who have that in their organization and they think that they've got it working 
reasonably constructively and and well for for their safety program you know what are the things they're doing below that top level brand that they can share with that they that they think is contributing to it having you know that positive type of effect that Zwetslut would would talk about it having you know and how are they counteracting the the negative things that Decker might say would be would go alongside that zero harm campaign I'd love to know people's case experience with working that out in their organization so that's it for this week Drew our question for the week was is adopting a zero harm policy a good or a bad idea do we have a clear answer I think we have to say we don't have a clear answer, but what we were aiming for and hopefully we've achieved is to help you put the two sides of debate into a bit of context and give you some feel for where the evidence might exist in future to help us decide this debate. Yeah, and like I said at the start, for me, you know, is zero harm policy a good idea? Well, it might be and it might not be, depending on all of the other things that you've got in your organisation around that around that particular brand. But like we said, if you do have a zero harm or a zero accident vision policy, or you're thinking of putting one in place, you know, the, the, the practical feedback for us would be, you know, think carefully about targets, expectations and messaging and, and spend a lot of time figuring out how you're going to get all those things working for you in your organisation. Absolutely. So we hope you found this episode thought provoking and ultimately useful in shaping the safety of work in your own organisation. As always, send any comments, questions, or ideas for future episodes to our LinkedIn group or to feedback at safetyofwork.com. Thanks for listening.